Well, I had a tough time this week on this, uh, this text, and the whole point of going through a book is that you don't get to skip passages, and you don't get to, you're not supposed to twist them to make them something else, and so um, finally, I just settled on, just let's just talk about what the Bible actually says here. So before we get into it, I want to tell you a little story, and then we will read the text. So, uh, my dad, um, in his later years, softened quite a bit and um, really became much more easy to be with. But growing up, we had six kids. And my dad ran a a newspaper that almost, it just barely made money. And it was long hours, hard hours, and and then also just being right on the edge all the time. And then we're, we're Irish to start with, so there's already a little temper going. And dad, growing up, was just very, he was usually tired and grouchy and frankly we were we were afraid of him because you never knew when he might just go off and one of the things he had several things that irritated him one was when we laid stuff around the house and one of our favorite things was we would put our shoes on the stairs planning to take them up later and that drove dad absolutely crazy and so one one day we came home and no one could find their shoes and we're looking everywhere and we finally you always if you wanted to talk to dad you talk to mom and then mom would talk to dad and then you'd find out what's going on turned out he had thrown all of our shoes down the hill and we had to go down and find our shoes down in the woods behind our he hated it when people talked on the phone and in those days if you were on the phone somebody else called and it would be busy and so you 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 know if somebody else was trying to call that was important so he he hated it when we would just linger on the phone which none of us did except for my sister Katie and Katie could talk forever on the phone and so one time He's, he, he had said, Katie, get off the phone. She, and she would always say, I'll get off in a minute. I'll get off in a minute. And she, he just went absolutely crazy. And he went out and he pulled the entire phone jack off the wall, just ripped the whole thing out. And, but there's one moment in our history that stands out. It is permanently embedded in my mind. Because the other thing Dad hated was when we would play... We were always in charge of cleanup and dishes and pots and pans after the meal. And when we would mess around during that time, that was his quiet time. He was, he was on the couch. He was reading the paper. He was drinking his glass of wine. And that's when we were doing, doing all the cleanup. And everybody had their tasks. Well, there, there was nothing that could get him off more than this. So here it is. It's one, one day after dinner. Dad is on the couch reading his paper. It's been a hard day. We're clearing the table, and Sheila has got the milk jug, 
And I don't know if you remember those old milk jugs that had a handle on top that held it to it. And she said, she announced to all of us, we are learning about centrifugal force in school. And she said, this is the coolest thing. I can, I can tip this upside down and the milk won't come out. And we are all like Sheila. I, no, whatever you're thinking of doing, please don't do it. And sure enough, she starts this thing going. And I mean, it's already horrifying. But what happens, what happens next is frozen in my mind because the absolute unthinkable thing happens. She is going like this. And she comes around like this, and it detaches. And it is going towards Dad. Dad is in the living room, and this thing is going, and it goes right over Dad's head. I don't know how it could do it, but it's like it exploded. And milk, Dad was dripping with milk. The paper dripping with milk. Just so you understand where we were. The six kids, we all hid in closets. Because we had had seen dad go off for small things. And for no one had ever seen anything at this level. And we are just like, we all hide in our closets. And dad, he walks upstairs, changes his clothes, and he never said a word about it. When, when God is revealing himself to Moses, he says, God, Moses keeps saying, Lord, show me your glory. And he says, I'm going to allow all of my goodness to pass before you. And so he hides him, interesting, in the cleft of the rock. And God goes past Moses and allows his glory and Moses hears the Lord speak and here's what the Lord says about himself a self-revelation of his own being he says this the Lord the Lord God compassionate gracious and slow to anger One of the most wonderful things about God is that he is slow to anger. But what we're going to find out in today's text is just because God is slow to anger doesn't mean you can't make him angry. He is not irritable. He is not grouchy. He does not fly off for no reason. But please make no mistake about it. You can make God angry. We have the power to make God angry. I don't want God angry at me. I don't want him angry at you. And I don't want him angry at us. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this verse today, or at this passage today, and, and we're going to see why God gets angry and It is very possible, as I share today, that you will realize that you have stirred up God's anger toward yourself. Here's the other amazing thing about God. This is is Psalm 30, verse 5. 
It says his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. And what that means is simply this. Even though God has anger, he is not an angry God. In fact, just to be in his presence is fullness of joy. And he has given us also the means, because of what Christ has done on the cross, that we can get right with God again. And that his anger that we have aroused can be changed to favor through the cross. And so it's really important because the reason why I'm stressing all of this right now is because a lot of us, however our dad was, that's how we think God is. And so sometimes if, 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 if dad was a little like my dad, it's, it's hard to connect with God because you see God as being this angry, grouchy, irritable, doesn't want to really be with me. That's not who God is. God's heart is for us and toward us. He is slow to anger, and when he's angry, it's for good reason. But he can get angry. All right, so we're going to look at the. We're going to read the text, and then we'll stand together and pray because this is another long text. Here we go, Daniel chapter five. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. King Belt, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have inside intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. 
Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms on all the kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, in your great mercy, would you speak today? Would you hide me behind your cross? Could each one hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, help us individually, help us corporately. And as we hear your voice, help us to be tender and responsive, we pray. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is The Handwriting of God, and point one is, Who is Belshazzar? So, Belshazzar. For many years, especially liberal scholars said this is evidence. Daniel is a fictional account. This is this was written in like the second century. It's not what it appears to be. It's a it is a story. There was no Belshazzar in history. Babylonian history doesn't record a Belshazzar. And this is why we're very grateful for what archaeologists are finding. Because archaeologists in the 20th century found a cuneiform table 
called the Persian verse account of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar is mentioned in this. He is the son of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. After ruling Babylon for three years, 553 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar departed the great city and spent 10 years in Tima in Arabia. During this time, Nebuchadnezzar appointed Belshazzar as ruler of Babylon. Significantly, when the Medes conquered Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was not there, but Belshazzar was. Let me just read you the second part. Several commentators uh, believe that the queen, which appears in Daniel 5, is Netochris. Nidochris. Who is Nidochris? She is actually quite a famous daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, married to Nebuchadnezzar, and the mother of Belshazzar. So here's what happened. Nebuchadnezzar has uh, children. The, the king that follows him, there's actually two kings that follow him before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, one of his children, is this daughter, Nitrasis, Nitrocris. Nitrocris's son is Belshazzar. So when Nebuchadnezzar goes, he was a military guy, so when he goes out, he makes a co-regency, which kings often did. He gives, he gives Belshazzar uh, the title of king under him. He is the second ruler in the kingdom. The first ruler is Nebuchadnezzar. The second ruler is Belshazzar, who's also called king. It's a co-regency, which is why he offers Daniel the third ruler in the kingdom, because he's the second now, we can be thrown off when it says, your, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not his father, it's his grandfather, it is, which is often the case in scripture that you call all of your ancestors your father, but he is the grandfather of Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar was, through his daughter, The reason why she is called the queen is because she is the queen. And all of Belshazzar's wives, which are plural, apparently never really got that title. He was called the king, but the queen was still his mom, Nabonidus' wife. You don't have to have all that straight, but it's just always good to know that we're talking about actual history and what archaeology has found. So let's move on to point two. God's anger around the objects meant for worship. We know all the way back in the time of Nebuchadnezzar that he took the vessels that were in the temple of God and brought them into the temple of his God. So they're having a banquet and he calls for these vessels. 
He knows the whole story. And he calls for these vessels and flagrantly uses these vessels. The, he's got his own cups. He's got his own silverware. He's got it. But he is flagrantly using that which was used for worship of God. And he is worshiping the gods with these vessels of stone and of wood and of idols. And the anger of God is aroused and the handwriting comes on the wall. And as we think about worship and we think about the vessels meant for worship being used the wrong way, it should not surprise us knowing what the rest of scripture says that the anger of God was so stirred up. Where did these vessels come from? Well, it started with the tabernacle. The temple is just a permanent tabernacle. The tabernacle and the temple are synonymous. Except the tabernacle they carried all around, and then the temple was a permanent fixture, but they built the temple like the tabernacle. So when the the tabernacle was first introduced, it is week one of the tabernacle. They've just set into place the the priesthood, and and they have... uh, They have set aside the tabernacle for worship and Aaron brings in the first sacrifices and and, uh, God brings the fire and and manifests his glory and this is the place of worship. And then week two, um, Aaron's sons, who are also supposed to be priests, bring in strange fire. They get their own idea, they bring their own thing in and fire comes from the presence of God and consumes them. They die on the spot. Why? God's making a a statement about his own holiness and about, about worship. I mean, even before that, when they came out of Egypt and God said, right before you leave, ask the Egyptians for the gold and silver and for, uh, for the precious things. And, and they plundered Egypt before they went and they're going into the desert. Why on earth would they need money and, and all this stuff in the desert? Well, they didn't know why. But God was going to ask for offerings to build a tabernacle. And when they took that gold that was meant to build the tabernacle and they used it to make a golden calf. Um, The anger of God was aroused and 3,000 died that day. In the history of Israel, we've got the story of Uzzah where they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem and, and instead of doing it the way they're supposed to do it, which is on poles and they're supposed to be priests and there are very distinct ways that you handled the ark. Instead of doing that, they've got it on an ox cart because that's how the Philistines had sent it back to them. So it's already, it's, everything's wrong. It's the wrong way. It's the wrong people. Everything is wrong. But then the ox cart stumbles and Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark And immediately he was struck dead. And David became afraid of God. God, why why were you so angry? Why, Why did your anger lash out? God holds the articles of worship 
and the way we worship very close to his heart. Well, praise God, Pastor Tom, that's Old Testament. God's in a better mood in the New Testament. Is he? Is he? Did you know that Jesus starts and ends his ministry in the exact same way? John John chapter 2 gives his early ministry. It's the first Passover, and he just gets in the temple, and he goes crazy. It says, zeal for your house is consuming. And he starts turning over the tables, and he said, said, "You, you have turned my father's temple into something that it's not supposed to be. This is a place of worship. You've made it a place of merchandise. You've made it about money and, and about you trying to get rich off of it. And, and this, is, this is for worship. And they bring him in at the end. It's the last Passover. He is about to die. He knows he's about to die. He comes in on the donkey and, and then he goes into the temple and there it is again. And he just can't, he can't contain himself. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you have made it a den of thieves. So what about today? How do we get God angry today? What are are the articles of worship today? Look at Daniel 5.23. He says, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets of his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, stone, which cannot see or understand. But here, but you did not honor the God, and listen to this, who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. The the NAS says your breath and all your ways. You have taken the strength and the breath that God has given you to live. And instead of using it to honor him, you have used it to commit flagrant idolatry. Probably the harshest words in the New Testament are found in Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Jesus comes to his own church and he says these words. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is coming to his own church. Jesus, this is the church he died for. This is the church he's passionate about. I'm sorry, guys. Jesus cannot be less than passionate about you. I'm sorry. This is how he is. This is just how he is. He's a burning fire. He gave everything for you. He gave everything for me. So when he comes to his own church and finds them half-hearted, finds them saying in their hearts, we really don't need anything. We've got our doctrine. We've got our little traditions. We're, we're doing just great. We don't really need his presence. We're not all in with him. We've just added a little God to our life, added a little religion to our thing. We don't want too much. We don't want, we don't want to be hot. And Jesus is like, listen, I'd rather have you cold than what you are right now. I'd rather have you completely out. At least you're honest then. 
But to, but to take my name and to add a little religion and just kind of half be in, half be out, he's like, it, it, it makes me sick in my stomach. And when he says, I'm about to vomit you out, it, it, this is not, this is not, people sometimes think it's a personal threat to backside. No, it's, it's that church. It's, it's that whole community. The, the, the church, Jesus builds his church. He said, I will build my church because the church is to be a light. A church is, is to reproduce. A church is to be, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. And he's saying about that church, that corporate church, I don't want this. I don't want this reproduced. I don't want this in the world. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be against you as a church. Guys, I don't want to be that church. I, I don't, I don't want to be the church that makes Jesus sick. I, I don't want to be that person either. He's all in for me. I want to I wanna ask the Holy Spirit to help me be all in for him. I want our church to be all in. All in for him. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell severity, but to you... God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Okay, now this one is personal. Paul says you need to behold, you need to keep in your mind both God's kindness and his severity. And the only reason you have to keep both before your eyes is so that you only experience his kindness. What's he saying? Don't make God into your own image. Don't recreate God. And I just, I just like the nice God. And I just, I just dwell on God's kindness and God's goodness. And I don't, I don't like that other stuff. And I'm just going to, careful, careful. Paul says in the last days, people are going to have itching ears and they're going to surround themselves with people, teachers, that will tell them what they want to hear. Be careful of recreating God, lest you end up without God and a God of your own making. We need to behold the severity of God so that we don't ever experience it. So here we are, point three, making sure we don't end up like Belshazzar. Number one, remember what God has done in the past. Daniel says to him, you knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar, your father. It's actually his grandfather. You knew the story. You knew about it. You knew about the seven years where he ate grass. You knew the, the divine patience of God that was extended. You knew the, the, all of the miracles that had happened. You knew all about it, Daniel says. And yet, you have set yourself against him and flagrantly done what you wanted to do. It is so easy, isn't it, 
to forget. To just, to know stuff, but just forget it and not live in the light of it. Listen to Psalm 106, verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Verse 13, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. God had done abundant kindness to them. God had shown himself in a number of ways and they just didn't remember it. They just didn't live in light of it. Did they still know it happens? Yeah, they knew it happened, but they weren't living remembering God's kindness toward them and God's miracles toward them in the past. And because they didn't live in it, they, they became spoiled and they became uh, demanding and tested God and they stirred up his anger. Praise God, Pastor Tom, that's the Old Testament. Here's Hebrews 2, 1 through 3a. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So, for since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation. So, the Hebrew Christians had been saved. They were excited about God at the beginning. They had made great sacrifices. And this whole letter is written because they are being sorely tempted to go back to an easier life, to go back to where they came. And they are drifting away Ignoring what God has done for them in the past. Ignoring that salvation. And they, they're in great danger. It's really important to remember. You know why God instituted Passover? Every single year, the Jewish people still do Passover. And in Passover, they tell all of the stories again. They talk about Egypt. They talk about how they came out of Egypt. They talked about how God did. It's all about remembering. Remembering who God is. Remembering who we are. Remembering God's deliverance. Remembering God's love. Remembering God's salvation. Passover communion, which we're going to have today, is the fulfillment of Passover. Jesus died on Passover. He was the lamb that every slaughtered lamb in Passover was pointing to. And what did Jesus say to us? He said, do this at the Last Supper. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Events are going to happen and you are going to have to live remembering them. Paul says, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. 
We live in remembrance. We, we force ourselves to remember. So this is why I journal. Every morning, it, however boring yesterday was, I journal. I journal my prayers. And what I do is I go back and I read through them. I want to remember. A couple days ago, I read back to 2010. I read all of 2000, all the events that led up to City Church. It was brutal. It was a brutal year. And I'm just, as I'm reading all of the prophetic things and the prayers and all the emotions I'm experiencing and, and, and seeing all that has happened since then and God's fulfillment, it's just Thanksgiving is welling up. Last Christmas, I gave my children uh, a gift of my and my wife's history in God. Miraculous provision, miraculous this, miraculous healings that I've experienced, dreams that I've had. Uh, It belonged, everything that happened in Nebuchadnezzar belonged to Belshazzar. Everything that had happened belonged to him. It was part of his story. He needed to remember that story. He needed to know that story. God's acts that have come down to us need to be remembered. I had used as my, the, the scripture right on the front of it was from uh, when Joshua came through the Jordan River. He had each one of the tribes take a stone out of that, the Jordan River, and make, they made a memorial so that the future generations would remember, would remember what God had done, would remember his faithfulness, would remember the miraculous that had happened. Remembering is absolutely key to walking presently in the light God wants us to walk in. And then secondly, be careful to not presume on God. There is an army marching against him that he doesn't know about. It's going to arrive there that night. It's been on the move for many, many days, but it is going to arrive there tonight. And while this army is invading, he's, he's having a party. They're getting drunk. They're, they are completely unprepared. There is no carefulness. They are just presuming that things will continue as they always have. Proverbs 29, 1, whoever remains stiff-necked. Let me see what we have. Yeah, after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. God comes and he warns us. God comes and he speaks to us. God comes and he awakens us. And we can presume that we can always do it later. We'll do it later. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, right now I don't look like one, but eventually, you know, this is the truth and God is good and God loves me and I get that, but I am not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And we always presume we're going to have another chance. Don't presume on the grace of God. I used to be in, when I was an investment broker, I was in a group called Full Gospel Businessmen. And that was a big deal in the body of Christ for many, many years. And it was we had a lunch once a week, and they had a um, magazine that they sent out once a month. And the magazine was just testimonies 
of different guys that came to Christ. And I will never forget this one testimony. This guy from the South, he's talking about uh, his wife and kids were into Jesus and, and he just wasn't into it. And, but he was a family man. And so he would, he would go to church with them, but he would never go in the church. He would stand outside smoking cigarettes and he'd wait for them to get over. And I mean, he, he, and, and so he would, he would be in the back and, and when church was over, they would come out and, and it's just a typical Sunday. And they are, they are preaching away. Thank you, Craig. They're pre- the, he's, the pastor's preaching away, and he's going into the altar call. And he's looking at his watch because it's almost time to go home. After the, everybody knows after the altar call, the service will be over, and he'll come home, and the pastor's really calling people to come to the altar. And, um, and suddenly a voice speaks to him. And here's what the Holy Spirit spoke inside of him. This will be your last chance. So he said, he threw down a cigarette, put it out, and ran to the altar. Why? He had just been living in presumption. We don't know why it would have been his last time. Maybe he was going to die. Maybe we don't know. You don't know what army might be coming against you. You don't know what thing might be coming. We don't know why that would have been his last chance. But because he tenderized his heart and ran to what God was saying, God had mercy and he became a, a witness not of God's judgment, but a witness of God's mercy. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10 talks about Christians that become presumptuous and continue to willfully sin. They know it's sin, but they're no longer struggling with sin. They are now continuing to willfully sin. They have actually made it a lifestyle as if forgiveness is their right. Guys, forgiveness is not a right. It is a privilege. We need to treat the forgiveness of God that God has offered us through the death of Christ as something precious, something valuable, something to be honored. Yes, thank God we get a new beginning every single day. We need to treat that as a valuable, precious gift. If you think forgiveness is your right, like God somehow owes you forgiveness, that you've prayed the prayer, therefore you have to be forgiven. You need to be careful. Because here's what the writer of Hebrews says. For those who continue to willfully sin, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. For, and here's why. You have trampled the Son of God under your feet. You have counted the blood of Jesus as an unclean thing. That you have thought the blood of Jesus was was shed so that you could keep sinning. So that you could live a dirty life. You have counted it as an unclean thing. And then thirdly, it says you have insulted the spirit of grace. 
The spirit of grace was not that we would go on sinning. The Holy Spirit came to forgive us, to bring grace, to empower us, to live a different life. Does that mean we never struggle? No, that doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we, we recognize that being a Christian means I'm, I'm now living a different way. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm aiming that way. And I'm honoring that gift, not presuming on it. Making sure we don't end up like Belshazzar. Repent for your sins. So the one thing Belshazzar doesn't do, he honors his word to Daniel and says, all right, I'm going to make you the third in the kingdom. You, you interpret it. Here's the one thing he doesn't do. Repent. You said, Pastor Tom, it was too late. No, it wasn't too late. If it was too late, then there wouldn't have been handwriting on the wall. If it was too late, it just would have happened. It's not too late. If God is speaking, it's not too late. People are worried that they committed the sin unto death. You have not, if you're worried about committing the sin unto death, you have not committed the sin unto death. There is still time. God's purpose for you is to forgive you, not to condemn you. God wants all of us to make it. He died so that we would make it. He values us. We are his precious, favored sons and daughters. Hebrews 3, 7 through 13, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So that's what we're doing today. God is speaking. Don't harden your heart. Soften your heart. Agree with God. So it turns out that the handwriting on the wall, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. It turns out that it's not just Belshazzar that has been weighed and found wanting. It turns out that you and I have been weighed and found wanting. It turns out the whole human race was weighed in the scales and found wanting. This is why Jesus came. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out Listen to this. The certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Sins that we had committed, decrees that were against us. It was the handwriting on the wall. It was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
Jesus got on the scale for us and he alone was good enough. And then he died in our place. Listen to Oswald Chambers. This is December 1st reading. It's called The Law and the Gospel. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2.10. And then here's his comments. The moral law does not consider us as weak human beings at all. It takes no account of our heredity and infirmities. It demands that we be absolutely moral. The moral law never alters either for the noblest or for the weakest. It is eternally and abidingly the same. The moral law ordained by God does not make itself weak to the weak. It does not tolerate our shortcomings. It remains absolute for all time and eternity. If we do not realize this, It is because we are less than alive. Immediately when we come to life, life becomes a tragedy. Paul says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. When we realize this, then the spirit of God convicts us of sin. Until a man gets there and sees that there is no hope, the cross of Jesus Christ is a farce to him. Conviction of sin always brings a fearful, binding sense of the law. It makes man hopeless, sold under sin. I, a guilty sinner, can never get right with God. It is impossible. There is only one way which I can get right with God, and that is by the death of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to talk about this for just a moment and then we're going to ask the communion folks to come and the worship team to come back. To be saved, first I have to be enlightened. It's called conviction. God has to actually come to me and show me that I'm a sinner. We live in a culture That does not understand sin. It does not understand why God, God's a forgiving God. Why can't God just forgive sin? God cannot just forgive sin. The the moral law doesn't bend around for us and say, oh, you know, they had a bad day. They, you know, they, they, they didn't have their coffee. They, they, it it doesn't bend around and make excuses. That's what we do. The, the moral law, the absolute holiness of God condemns every single one of us as sinners. It doesn't bend. When we become convicted of sin and the Holy Spirit is moving, all of a sudden we think we're farther from God than we've ever been because we see, oh my, like Peter, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it before, but I see it now. I see it that you're holy and I am desperately unholy and there's nothing I can do to make myself right with God. I can't be good enough or religious enough. The, the, we're, we're guilty before a holy God. But here's the amazing thing. When you see that for what it is, you are actually prepared to understand what the gospel is. That your sin and my sin, it separated us from the presence of God, but it never separated us from the love of God. 
God made a plan to save us. He sent his son. He came into the world, the lamb of God. He came in to die. He came in to be offered. He came in to give himself in our place. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood in my place and in your place. So that through Christ, the Bible says all of God's anger towards sin hit Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God due to you and me fell on his son. He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become right with God. So today, as we take communion, we remember Jesus. We remember what he did. But before we do that, it's really important that we all take a moment to make sure we're right with God. So would you mind just bowing your head and closing your eyes for just a moment? If you are here today and you just recognize right now that you have been living a life away from God, Maybe with a little religion tied on, but away from God. And you're afraid. If you died right now, you're not sure. You're not sure whether you would go to heaven or, or not. You're not sure that you're in a right place with God. But today you're here. And you can honestly say, I want to be right with God. I, I want Jesus' sacrifice to apply to me. I want him to forgive me. I want him to wash me. I want to give him my presumption against him. I want to give him every bad thing I've done. And I, I want to hide myself in the wounds of Jesus. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If God has spoken to you today, And you don't want to harden yourself. You want to tenderize and respond to him. Would you just raise your hand right now? Long enough. I see that hand in back and this hand in front and this hand and this hand and this hand and that hand and that hand. This hand and this hand and this hand and that hand. That hand. God bless you. God bless you. Yep, you can put those down. But he else by upraised hand. We're going to pray just a moment. everybody that raised their hand just put their hand on their heart right now and pray something like this just in your own words Lord thank you for loving me a sinner thank you for dying in my place on the cross Holy Spirit thank you for knocking on my door thank you for speaking into my darkest place not to condemn me but to save me Lord today I'm opening my heart wide by faith I'm asking you to come in I'm asking you to wash me cleanse me and tenderize me I want to live filled with your joy filled with your pleasure Holy Spirit, I want to be wholehearted. Make me wholehearted. 
Lord, I, I receive that gift of eternal life. And I promise to treasure it, to remember it, to value it, and to protect it. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we have an open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member here. But what we do ask is that everybody would um, hold on to the emblems. Oh, our, our servers can come. We're, we're going to pass these out. We're going to just worship now, and they're going to pass out the emblems. Just, if you wouldn't mind just holding them in your hands, and then I'll come back up, and we'll, we'll all receive them together. God bless you. Just got a few more people being served in the balcony. mind taking the bread and we're just going to pray a prayer of remembrance about the about the body of Christ Lord we are intentionally taking time doing what you told us to do to remember that your body was given for us. To remember the, the whip. To remember the 40 lashes. To remember the crown of thorns. To remember the, the nail-pierced hands and feet. And to remember the love that put you there. Lord, you laid your life down for us. You gave your life for us. And we want to say thank you to you. Jesus took the bread. He said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Let's eat the bread together. When the supper was ended, he took the cup and he said, this, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. It will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Could we, could we pray as we remember the blood that was shed? Lord, we do not want to live in such a way that is calling your blood unclean. Your blood is pure and it was, it was shed for me and, and it was shed to forgive me and give me a new beginning, not so that I would just go on living however I want to live and giving a message to the world that Christianity isn't even clean. It's, it just, it's a way to get forgiven of, of you continuing to do whatever you want to do. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for when we've done it. Forgive it. Forgive us as a congregation. Forgive this country for in some ways producing a gospel that 
doesn't even look to live holy before you. Please forgive us, God. Please grant repentance. This blood was clean so that we would go and from this live clean lives. And Jesus, before you today, God, we want to live clean before you. Wash us. Lord, we we drink this cup because it's not just this outward cleansing. You clean even our motives. It says we, we are washed from dead works and made alive to serve the living God. Lord, awaken our hearts. Clean our hearts. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Wash us. In the innermost being, we pray. Jesus said, take and drink. Let's drink together. And then could we stand again and worship? Lord, it says the fear of the Lord makes us clean. Lord, as we have considered your severity today, as we have tried to respond with integrity before you, could there just be a little more of the fear of God in us and a little less of the fear of people and fear of not fitting in and the fear of maybe missing out on some fun if we don't do everything, watch everything? Jesus, please. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us on the cross. Now let your face shine upon us and through us as we go out from this place. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to have teams up front. If you need more prayer, otherwise, God bless you and have a great day.